Jacko loves stray dogs. Beastie loves Sturlo. You know what they say about playing the game? You can't hear it today. I said now. Welcome back to Legal Counsel. Coming at you back in our regular slot on a Tuesday evening, as always. Calling rugby league enthusiast, former Hong Kong rugby league board member, former Hong Kong rugby league international, Jack. How's it going, mate? Yeah, not bad, Harry. Good to hear your voice again. Absolutely gutted. wasn't um, wasn't picked up for the Hong Kong Emerging Nations World Cup side, um, and that's in October in Sydney. Uh, missed out on selection. Haven't even got a. You what know, didn't even have the the, the head coach. David Fairley, uh, sorry, Jason Fairley, or as I refer to him, David's brother, didn't even have the decency to give me a call and um, say I'd missed out. After all the all the blood, sweat, and tears I'd given to that organisation, but you know, is it, fair, is, is it fair to say that you are Hong Kong Rugby League's Blake Ferguson? I mean, Brad Fuller didn't even give him a call before the Origin this year. I mean, yeah, Sam Friday, Jeremy Lattimore. Um, Jake Marquito type player so you know you're not going to get picked in many rep sides with that sort of form are you no no fair enough and um, I mean I've noticed a lot of um, noise around Hong Kong Rugby League lately what have they been up to over there they've had a big Asian Cup haven't they no no they had yeah they, well, they had Asian Cup they bet Japan and Tokyo um, <laughs> their first <coughs> sorry, victory oh you bloody should be sorry um, there's been a yeah, just a great one against Japan, their first test match victory uh, in Tokyo. Now they go to Sydney October and play uh, Solomon Islands and Poland before finding out whether they can make the championship or plate part of it. It's actually at St. Mary's and Cabramatta, so I'll be up there. Maybe we're going to head out there together and uh, do some player interviews. Oh well, mate, it, it, getting out there and involved in the emerging nations is, is basically that's that's your niche, really, isn't it? Emerging nations rugby league—that's your passion. Bloody oath! And if you need to hear um, more about it, check out another podcast, League Eight Five Two. I think the last episode, or the last episode of the series, they actually did a profile on me and sort of went through what it's like watching a live game at the ground with me, which doesn't sound very nice, but it's not that bad. I'll, you know, Ooh, you me. I mean, many listeners would have been to a live game with you. And I will say this, it can go one or two ways. It can be a highly jovial, um, almost as if the crowd is in the palm of your hand, like I would say um, the Anzac Test in Newcastle two years ago, where yeah. we lost 18 nil. I think the Novakastrians really sort of got on behind your um, your humour. We're quite close to the ground. I swear Gerard Bell could hear you um, screaming at him. And then other games such as Storm home games where you've been um, threatened and potentially um, almost bashed a couple of times. Well, what I don't get about, these are the, and I know, <laughs> these are the same guys that moan about rugby league not having an atmosphere at the ground. If ever I said if there was 25,000 of me's, the atmosphere would be electric. And quite intimidating and But abusive. that's what our game is about. It is, isn't it? Just I open up. I can't believe... Like, when, when did the country get so soft that you can text a um, number to get someone ejected? Like, that can be abused, right? Some guy's annoying you, you could just go, off. Oh, get rid of him. Hi, hi, is it? 
in the case in the NRL. Can I get text someone to get yeah. them ejected? It depends what ground. Like Suncorp, you see it on there. I think Stadium Australia. I think you can at cricket. I mean, have we done that before? One of our cricket trips, texting uh, someone ejected. Yeah, I did it at the Volkman when he did that wizard. <laughs> I haven't told anyone to this day. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Um, oh no, that was that's a different situation with one of our mates. Um, New Zealand's it, actually worse. Quite. Yeah, it is. Well, well, back to rugby league crowds, right? I'm pretty sure we've covered this in the past. Maybe when the Viking clap kind of um, came out, but. You know, look at English soccer and, and the... I mean, I think football is essentially such a unique sport and the chanting. I think that that's really the only sport that does chanting, doesn't it? I mean, no you know other sports chant and sing songs, do they? You know the other thing... Yeah, no, well, the, the league crowds in England do as well, but a guy actually mentioned Marty Gesterkamp. Big shout-out to him. Big uh, fan of the show. Went to the Storm Eels game with him on Friday night. Um he actually made a good point. At an English Premier League, I've never actually been to one, but you do no, no one is actually in the crowd drinking. So really? you know how we're always like watching a league or football cricket. We've got to get beer in our hand. In England, they don't do it, which I think is actually quite good. Like because one, you don't have to drink shit beer out of gl- plastic cups. They just focus for the ninety minutes and then go to the pub after or before. I think that's a real different culture. Yeah, exactly. I mean, is. So when you're at Suncorp, so talk me through the Eels game. Like, what, what, what was the atmosphere like? What was the storm crowd like? Uh, so I met, met up um, on a blind date with a, a big fan of the show just via um, uh, Twitter. You got hold of me and said he wanted to watch League. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So uh, what's that then? Give us yeah, some watch. background of Marty Gastecamp. He sounds like a like he's played League. I mean, Gastecamp, is it his name? Gastecamp. G-E-S-T-R-K-A-M-P, Dutch. Uh, he's a, an Ind- Indonesian heritage. Sounds like um, he's played a lot. You know, that kind of name, you could see him running around for the Newcastle play. Knights in the 90s or something. He was northern, uh, North Sydney, Rara-based. Anyway, mm. don't know don't know about his playing pedigree. Bit of at the pub, watched the pub game, which I must say, the pub game, which, you know, when in 12 years people are using the pub game at verb, like, Every left right center. I think you could put attribute it to this pub podcast. It's getting big. Yeah, I mean, it's a just it just makes so much sense, doesn't it? Um, I actually tweeted yeah. it out to a couple of people um, on Twitter, and instantly they came back and just agreed with it. The pub game. I mean, it sticks, and you would have to chalk that one up to legal counsel. There's no doubt. So about then, it. Yeah, no doubt. And then, so we watched the pub game at the Limerick. You know the Limerick clubs, don't you? South Malcolm. Yes. An old Warhorse pub, and then we got a Ruba, and. Got to uh, Tara and Carroll lower right league football stadium. His wife actually had a mate who worked for marketing for Storm, so he got us free tickets quite close to the ground. But as soon as he came out of the ticket, she gave me a Melbourne Storm scarf, and I was yeah. wearing my Warriors one. So yeah, it was a bit. Yeah, I, see, I just said, look, you guys are stitching me up here. Like, did, did did you still get the? You know, one of the old fascinations with the old Storm. Um, stadium. They had that. It's not like a drum. It's almost like a, you know, one of those kind of Polynesian style. But it's it's like a stick hitting it, like almost like a drumstick. You know, yeah, they always... it's a percussion instrument. Yeah. What would you call that? Uh, an island drum. It's not quite as heavy as the old Warriors drums, which have been on and off over the years, and and I think they just have them now to the Warriors come on the field to them. But that's quite synonymous to storm crowds. Storm crowds. Would you say educated? Do they know their rugby league? Yeah, they they are they're they're it's, I, I enjoy them. They're also quite a like a loyal and fierce bunch. Um, they, 
I, <laughs> I respect them. Like they're in behind enemy lines, so to speak. So you've mm. got to keep working with each other. Um, what? So we sat down, pr- pretty good seats down by halfway. Um, my banter was appreciated, I think. There's an Eels fan, like, so there's an Eels, again, people get really confused because I was wearing a Storm and a Warrior scarf, mm. but going for the Eels. And there was a guy behind me, real big Eels man, it was, his look at me when he looked at me was so weird because I was, like, going, oh, this is bullshit, mate. They're not, they're, they're giving the Storm a bit of a leg up. And he looked at me like, I'm wearing a Storm scarf and a Warrior scarf, and I'm going for the Eels. He's looking at me like, he's neutral. No, he's taking, he's, taking, he's taking the piss, because I was sort of on his side, but he thought I was being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I got a shout-out from, oh, you'll love this, um, Brandon Smith, just before he got on. He got injured, unfortunately, but before he got on, I yelled out, because he was only about 10 minutes away, I go, Waiheke Island! Mm. And he gave me that, you know that thing where you hold one thumb out and a little finger? Hang loose. Sort of rotator? Hang loose, mate, man. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's good. He's injured. Solomon is injured. Chambers is out for... So I didn't see the Chambers hit. It got described to me today as the worst tackle of the season. Um, and I yeah, know that kind of tackle up. that Chambers has been yes. persisting with all year. And he he gets them, um, almost wraps them up from behind, um, and then jumps up and down, almost like it's a wrestling move. Yep. And he only got three weeks, which... I mean, if Sam Lozano can get two weeks for raising his elbow um, as he's running forward, and Chambers gets one week for uh, sorry, three weeks for this, one week extra, the judiciary isn't and hasn't still really got it right, have they? No, they haven't. They haven't for years. I mean, it's. I thought three weeks wasn't too bad for it. Some people were saying five. At three is pretty. You missed first round of finals, which is uh, pretty bad. But um, mm. look. If you start talking about the judiciary, you drive yourself. Actually, far out. We've got to tell the listeners at the end of the show the Steve Betts interview will be on because a lot of people have been crying out for it and asking about it. What I was going to say though was, well, hang on, if you keep stop there, do you want to just do you want to just give people a heads up on who Steve Betts is? Oh, he's a uh, was arguably the uh, game's greatest touch judge mm. um, in the nineties and late eighties. Uh, uh, that big fat. Dero Ray Hadley said he was um, the greatest man to ever hold a flag. So anyway, he's a, a, a good, and it's quite topical after, well, not topical anymore because I did it three weeks ago, but when there was the debacle with that touch judge at the Sharks game. Mm. Okay, well, that's a lot to look forward to there. There's some interesting stuff on there like which ground in the NRL has the most plush um, touch judges facilities? And which players did he used to have yarns with along the sideline did quite it, a bit? Did the t- I know, I mean, this might be a spoiler alert, but the touch judges get to hang out with the re- referees, or are they just like, get yeah, the they, fuck they, out they, of my they, shit? They work, work as a team, but there's obviously a hierarchy there, isn't there? Yeah, you can imagine like Matt Chechen asking a, um, a touch judge to go get him a chai latte before a game, and basically just sending him off the back behind Balmore oh, to try and sort of put together a little warm drink for Chechen before the game. A lot of female touch edges now, though. Yeah, there is, actually. Uh, what, anyway, back, it, back to the judiciary chambers, etc. That's what oh, we If we keep about. talking to you about the judiciary, Harry, we're going to do ourselves in. It's more inconsistent consistent than a bloody um, s- s- Warriors season. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's not much to talk about, it, is there? This is bugger all. You want to talk about your three things you learn from each week. Okay, first thing, number one, 
The NRL doesn't give a fuck about crowds. And we saw that. The pub game, 6pm. I watched it at the pub, but no one is going to turn up. So the NRL have put their hand up and said they're not worried about crowds. And to be honest, I'm sort of with them. I think crowds are a thing of the past. They are not the future of our game. Number two. But can I just say, I saw a stat the other day comparing the crowds now to the crowds 16 years ago. They haven't changed one bit. Exactly. Rugby league's always been a poorly attended sport. In Australia, yeah. So it's a less percentage of the population. But it's harder to get around anywhere. You know? it's, just, it's just a great TV sport. Let's just leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. The second thing I learned was, let's say, Saturday night, that Josh Dugan is a phenomenal footballer. And I've said it a couple of times. He's the greatest I've seen once he has the ball in his position. He can't pass... He can drop something. He can make defensive errors. But once the ball is <coughs> in his mitts, there is no more destructive I've ever seen. And I'm sorry to say that. I think that he's passed his best. And he had a very short peak as a fullback with headgear for the Raiders. He, yeah, I know. He, he had a peak. But really did, he never was fantastic for the Dragons. I don't think he was ever really great for the Dragons. Surprisingly good rep player. I think exactly really Malinga, good for one Australia. of the top three Malinga picks. Quote him. Yeah, I mean it'd be interesting. So was he healthy during Origin? Yep. And, uh, oh, they did they not pick him because he was injured? They didn't pick him. I just, oh, no, I think they didn't pick him. What's his position now, though? Is he a centre now? Is he just that's it? Uh, I'm happy for him to be a wing. He's a wing. He's playing wing for the Sharkies. Yeah, that's outrageous. He's wasted He's... on the wing. He is not a winger. He, I like the for the end of his career. He's I like him fast. Okay, that's number two. Number three is you mm. aren't as passionate as you say you are. Why well, can't you didn't watch the oh, language, mate? There's Sorry. females and children watching this. You didn't even watch the Warriors game live. Uh, well, I'll tell you why not. Okay, I, I want to hear this. I watched the first sixty minutes. Okay, so I was on day here all um, weekend. Uh, my wife was in Melbourne. Probably should have gone to the Eels game with you, actually. But um, I just forgot to tell her. And I, my son had got up from his sleep. And you know what it's like looking after a, a, a young boy. You've got to run them like a dog. And if he's inside for any length of time, he loses his shit. So I have to get him outside. Now, I almost had him. To, with 25 minutes to go, he was, at his, he was on tilt. And I had to get him out of the house. So I recorded the game. And I followed the rest of it on my phone. And I... I mean, we've gone over and over and over what it's like to support the Warriors. I don't think you'll ever really understand until you're a Warriors fan. But I, I basically, my anxiety was peaking. Um, and then I was following it on Twitter and looking at messages. And then I had a text message, a private text message from a mate who, was, who would put $100 in the Warriors. You know who you are. And he goes, ah, yeah. And then I thought, okay, that means we're either tied or we are ahead. So I jumped onto Twitter and I was refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. And then I saw this fucking cunt of a, sorry again, Bulldogs fan <laughs> going, Lachlan Lewis, what a field goal, exclamation mark times 10. And I was just like, fuck my life. This is just, they don't make it easy on us. We haven't made the final since 2011. They're really going to make us work for it. Um, so, yeah, I, didn't, I am extremely passionate Warriors man. I'm a big rugby league man, as you know. Don't question, you know, sometimes family's going to come first and there was going to be a breakage in my place if, if I didn't oh, get that little, little boy I lost three cases of beer on it. And I oh, said to, um, I, as soon as he came on, and no, as soon as they interviewed that little fucking golden boy, Lachlan Lewis, and they said it was his birthday, I was like, 
fuck. This all it just golden boys and birthdays. Things just seem to align for them. And as I said to a few people, I don't like golden boys. Victor Radley, Lachlan Lewis, Kayla, Nathan I don't Cleary. like people that get, Nathan Cleary. Get, yeah, hate yes. I don't like the. I don't like Golden Boy players. I like Daily the guys. Cherry Evans, have, Cooper Cronk. Yes, you know. Well, Cooper Cronk actually isn't that much of a Golden Boy. He did actually work hard and came sort of through the ranks. But first, when he came on the scene, he wasn't a Golden Boy. So Cronk's all right. But mm. these guys, I'm more of a Manu Mo, Suyama Ting, and they have to work their way to you get like a the shot. guys that come out of prison and make it do it the hard way? Look, I don't like prison, and I'm not saying criminality is good, but... There's something about that story, the, the, the story to fight hard for a first-grade spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a lot of appeal about it, 100%. Um, it was an interesting Your one, th- though, wasn't it, the, the Dogs-Warriors game? Cause the Warriors actually won a penalty count, which is rare. They won it 9-5, to five, and they ran for 400 metres more than an opposition, which is usually like a dead giveaway that you win the game. And I think we're double the amount of offloads. So they, they won on the big game stats. And then ended up losing. So um, they're going to fucking make us really earn those um, that final spot. I thought what has showed for me, I'm going to give you through a couple of my points from the weekend, was no game, no team is safe. And winning, you know, back in the day, no, from last year, there's no back in the day. Every year prior to this one, if you are playing a team that is not fighting out for the eighth, you can almost chalk up that win as a guaranteed if you're a top eight contender versus someone who can't make the eight in the last five rounds. You almost guarantee it. In the weekend, we had Broncos tell up the Rabbitohs, as called by legal counsel. We what? had the Panthers home to the Knights lose. Um, we had the Tigers who are at home getting upset by the Dragons. We had the Sharks and Cowboys were neck and neck until they pulled away in the last... Excuse me, last moment, where the Bulldogs beat the Warriors and we had the Raiders beat the Roosters. There is, you know, if you're, you can't say that the Knights are just as hard to play right now as, you know, a team in the back end of the eight like the Warriors and the Broncos and the Panthers. And fuck playing the Raiders. And the Titans can come out and smash anyone on their day at the moment too. The Dogs are hard to beat. And I tell you what, we'll probably get there at the end, but I tell you what, Anyone that's got flogged this year and really embarrassed has come out the next week and made a statement. You just watch out for the Manly Sea Eagles this week on the Thursday night game. Yep. I think they'll beat the Tigers out at Campbelltown. So I'm just actually typing up a legal, because I've had some requests to put a legal counsel bidding ledger on. Okay. So let's say this. So week date this week, we're going to put so we start with ten bucks. Okay. And we're gonna put No, turn 10 that bucks. put another hundred put another zero on it. Ten dollars is a hundred. So how much are we gonna put on the we're down to the last hundred, how much are we gonna put on we're gonna the put, Eagles this week? We're gonna put fifty on the Eagles at two dollars fifty. I'm just looking at some odds here. Okay. Okay. Because people can... have said we are that good, they wanna see if that what the numbers tell them. Okay. And now now you can you can have a chat. Well, we'll get to the games anyway, but yep. we'll lock that one in. Another one you'd have to say, no, actually, we'll get to the games. I won't blame my loads, but there's a couple of juicy ones. Um, the All-Stars concept got released yesterday. Out of the blue, I didn't see that coming. Okay. I had no build-up. I had no idea that this was even on the cards. When you saw that, what did you think? I thought, 
brilliant. I thought we don't give our administrators. Uh, we always just slag them off generally because they're shit. But that yeah. they've got the All Stars concept right. Look, yep. I, 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 to be honest, I, I hated the old All Stars concept. Oh, it's Look, terrible. I didn't watch it. I never watched why, it. Why would you play eighty minutes to try and get injured before? It's just reeks of. There's no. Why the fuck do you want to play the World All Stars? Well, it was originally the Indigenous that wanted a game, and they were crying out. Guys like Thurston and Preston Campbell and Tamanatahu, I think, were quite big in the early days, and they were just crying out they wanted a game, and they wanted to band together and celebrate their culture, and they were crying out for a game, and I guess all they could really think of was the All-Stars concept, which... Oh, that's dumb. The first couple of years, it was all right, because you had Wayne Bennett coaching them, and you had, you know, one player from each team make it, and, you know, there was a little bit of um, theatre in it, then... The last three or four of them, I didn't even watch them. It wasn't even a game that you would literally sit in front of your TV and watch, would you? It was shit. No. Oh, it's, I loved the Indigenous players, but fuck, yeah. Look, this is brilliant. This is great for... I was thinking, is it good for New Zealand League or not? I think it could be if they get a good coach, because you might get a young Mouldy boy, because we've, we've, told it, we've talked about the Gold Coast Mouldy um, factor. How there's going to be a lot more Maoris, Maldives born in um, Gold Coast now. That if we can get them, like if there's a superstar, Kanan Ponga, when he's 19 and he comes into the Maldi camp, he's like, I'm Kiwi. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it could have some, it could only or, be positive. Or, no, it could be negative in that uh, Aussie Maori bloke goes, Oh, well, I can represent the Maori, so I don't actually need to represent New Zealand. Maybe. I mean, so it's going to be to see how it goes. I think it all really comes down to where do you live most of your life, doesn't it? I mean, when, it, when it's all said and done, Caelan Ponga, Valentine Holmes, Corey Norman, um, a lot of these guys that are mentioned, um, yeah. they are born and bred most of their lives they've lived in Australia. So I guess they align with Australia. It's pretty hard. I guess there's some real um, you know, anomalies in there like um, Josh Hoffman was one that really didn't live in New Zealand at all, and he ended up aligning with with New Zealand. Yeah, and, and Nathan Kalis. Nathan Kalis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nathan so, <laughs> Granny Gate. But I was going to pull up the teams, the two teams that were read out. Um, keep talking about the concept as I pull this up. So I think it. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is who's going to coach the Mouldy? Um, Kearney, I guess, is probably your your number one. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Bluey McLennan come out just for a uh, uh, a token little run. He'd get the boys fizzing. Um, who coaches the Indigenous? They mix it up. They usually have Daly, don't they? Yeah, I think Laurie Daly coaches the Indigenous. So here goes the two potential teams at NRL.com listed. Greg Inglis, Josh Adokar, Latrell Mitchell, James Roberts, Dane Gargai, who actually didn't know this. He's half Māori and his um, mum's... So his cousin's Josh Hoffman. Cody Walker, Jonathan Thurston slash Ash Taylor, Andrew Fafita, Nathan Peets, Ryan James, Joel Thompson, Wade Graham, Jack Bird. Jack Bird, does he still play rugby league? Tyrone Peachy, Sam Friday, Adam Elliott, David Fafita. And then the New Zealand Māori team, Kalen Ponga, Jordan Rapana. Dylan Walker, Dean Faraday, Valentine Holmes, Corey Norman, Benji Marshall, Jesse Bromwich, Isaac Luke, Jordan McLean, Tohu Harris, Corey Harawera Naira, Elijah Taylor, Cody Nicarima, James Tamo, Joseph Tapane, Russell Packer. I think they didn't name James Fisher Harris, which I think he would get in there 
quite yeah, comfortably. The Acore. Um, probably at the expense of an Elijah Taylor or a James Tamo. Um, but that's a pretty strong couple of teams there, much better than the um, previous All-Stars. So There'll be that, some beautiful uh, um, mid-feb next year in Malcolm. There'll be some beautiful jersey design for that too, wouldn't there? You've also got Jared Warrior Hargraves, Brad Takarangi. There's quite a few yep. other guys that you could throw in there, but pretty strong. Oh, no doubt. Um, and so any other sort of... Um, actually, what do you got here? Personal story about seeing a league player in each of us. What are, what are you talking about there? Well, when is there a, a stage? Like I just, I've been pretty blessed over my lifetime. I mean, I've seen Michael Crocker um, push five hookers, Filipino hookers, into a taxi in Hong Kong. I have went out on the pistol with Steve Menzies in Hong Kong. I have Wheel Sailor. Yeah, but when he was just a dick. Um, I took Louis Brown out for his first ever um, beer at a licensed venue. I saw Nathan Fien at the casino once, and I even saw Nathan. Oh, that's Nathan Horitz's league, but I'm sure he loved league. Um, I've been blessed, and you must in Sydney run into the odd one in some odd situations. Well, oh, hang on, I'll tell one. I I live vicariously through a mate of mine. Shout out to Big Bears. He was walking up. He went up to, he's from Melbourne, he lives in Melbourne, went up to, I've told you this guy name and I, went Maybe. up to a grand final week and I think it was, man, 2000, no, 2012 Bulldog Storm and he went up to an old venue in, I think it used to, used to be in Bondi Junction called Misty's. As he was walking, and you had to, I don't know if you know this place, but apparently you have to go upstairs. Mm-hmm. As he was walking and he turned in and he saw Simon Wolford turn in to the place before him. And he was up this, walking up the stairs to this famous establishment called Misty's uh-huh. where a $50 pineapple fell out of his um, wallet and Bez just plucked it up after him and then went into Misty's with Simon Wolford, which I think is a brilliant story. So is, was Misty's is a, that quite a gentleman's establishment? I think so, which I think they've moved to Newtown now. Interesting. Actually, yeah. Interesting. Um, the last league I ran into actually was Ben Cray. Walked past him in North Sydney the other day. Um, I see a lot of Jared Warbury Hargraves around my um, neck of the woods and Bradley Clyde. Um, really? Come into my old cafe quite often, dressed nicely in a... Uh, I think he's in the Finn services kind of... Um, looks yeah. like he's, I would say, a financial advisor, if I had to guess. Bradley Clyde. Tell you what, he was getting some good kudos from his um, uh, former sort of players and colleagues about... Now, he was unlucky not to be talked about about Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's. he's um, I think he had a pretty short peak though, didn't he, Clyde? And uh, a bit, mate, about four or five years. Uh, like, nah, mate. I think I think I'm with these other players. He was unlucky. He was sort of underestimated, but everyone knew how good he was. They called him the best player the game back then. He a wasn't a gold boy. Mm, he was in some ways. Um, oh, he wasn't. No, but like he's not a golden boy half. They were Golden Boy Fords, like a Wayne Pierce, Bradley Clyde. I put in the same, um, same sort disagree, of bracket. Disagree heavily. <laughs> okay, um, is a close comp like this year is necessarily good quality? I think it's the closest comp ever. That the in the Open era and the NRL era, there's there's no doubt about that. But I think now, as I was sort of alluding to before, is that these teams in the bottom eight, like anyone from one to sixteen, can win. I mean, look at the Eels. They did the reverse. They did the 
the competition later of the last eight weeks the other day, and the Dragons were on the... This is before the, the round that we just had. The Dragons were on the bottom, and the and the, night, uh, the Eels were in about fourth place. So teams often, and this is where they really can fuck you, is, you know, you play the Eels early in the season and you get a free win, but then when they sort of get their shit together at the end, it's almost like playing a finals team. So I think if you look at it right now, there's there's a lot of competitive teams. I think it's good. I think it's good for it's, more competitive it's, it's a real uh, one of our great listeners, um, Bradley Cooper. He said, "Well, he said this comp is a war of attrition, isn't it? You know, mathematically, there's a chance, and it's not ridiculous chance that eight teams could finish first equal. Mm. And the only, I mean, when we talk about this question, is a close comp a great comp? At the excitement, right? Every game means something. Even like the spoon is still up for grabs. Yeah. Um, and it's funny teams playing like the Raiders seem to be playing with more fucking passion now than they were when they were eight. Like that, a lot of mentally, the pressure's gone off them, and they can see they're actually playing a bit better. Um, the the only other concern that has with me is every I've seen Todd Greenberg interviewed a few times, right? And he says when someone goes, oh. You know, crowds or slag something off about our game. He goes, but look at our game. It is the closest competition in the world and all this sort of stuff. But then you think, if he keeps keeps like uh, going on about that, like you have to ask, is he also going on, like telling the ref to even the penalty count up? Because he's so stuck on making it such an even comp. What was the thing that came out the other day? Was it Chechen? And they had the audio of Chechen um, getting instructed by the bunker. And this has come out a bit lately about the bunker um, having full audio into the ear of the referee and basically saying, hey, look, um, you need to... And he goes, hey, how am I going? How's the, how's the count going? How about the other team? Basically code for saying, yeah, it was, it's all over, it was all over Twitter about 10 days ago, maybe. Um, and it was really? basically capturing audio of the bunker talking to Chechen, and Chechen was, um, it was a break in play, and he was asking them how he was going, but it was kind of code, for, they had like a words across the screen saying he's asking, should he even up the count kind of thing, um, which is pretty phenomenal. What, for, yeah, it's phenomenally bad. I mean, one of the, you know, I've said it before, one of the most respected journalists in rugby league for the legal council, Nick Tedeschi, says they need to make all the recordings of the audio that goes on between the bunker. bunker and ref available after the game. And they, they do in NFL, I think, yeah. just for like um, legitimacy. Yeah, 100%. And I, I mean, if it's not publicist coaches, it should be at least a coaches. But, yeah, I mean, the other thing is, you watch league and... Do the I? Most, I've, the most... worked, I've watched 128 live games this year, of which five have been live at the ground. There's one thing that you can guarantee in rugby league. Is that a team that is winning a penalty count at half time significantly? It'll be even after twenty minutes of the next half. The whole makeup calls like it just—it's just the most obvious. If you're getting a hiding on the penalty count, you never end up getting, losing a penalty count eleven-two, do you? Even if you're the most ill-disciplined team in the world, referees blow penalties, and they like penalties just to make the stats at the end of the game. Oh, oh we didn't get completely blown off the uh, park. I, I was thinking about this during the Warriors game. Actually, I was like. A whistle got blue, and usually when you hear a whistle go blue, you sort of like smack the couch, like fuck. But I was like, well, we're gonna give penalties away, mm. and every time there's a penalty blown against my team, now I'm like, is that a good penalty? Like, is that a good penalty to give away? I analyze it like, would I rather get that penalty 
against me now or later, you know? Well, the thing is with the coverage now with penalties, they obviously get clued onto it. So they don't show replays of any controversial penalties. Bugger all, unless they're match deciding with a replayer. So I find these days you don't have any time to actually figure out if it was a good penalty or not, unless it's something like a, you know, really obvious um, head high. But the ones in the ruck... They happen so quickly, you get March 10, they're kicking the ball out and they're restarting. You don't have any time to think if that was actually a legitimate penalty or not. So I think that they've done a lot of tactical but, stuff, but especially with you, the TV coverage. If you know the um, the count, if you know the penalty count will even up, after all, you you should be able to work out a strategy of when to give them away almost. Anyway, I'll leave great minds like Miriam McGregor to think about that. Well, I think that's basically what teams are doing at the start of the season and their own, um, and that's why they brought in the sin binning because teams were giving away consistent yeah, right. amount of penalties early doors, I guess, professional sort of fouls. Um, well, people said they weren't. Yeah, you're right. Yep, yep. And, but the refs send them off then. They do. Now, Gallon has signed, Paul Gallon has signed for another year. Um, good on him. He's still playing top quality football. He's still. I think one we of the... talked about this last week, didn't we? No, I don't think we did. Because remember, no, because remember, we said who was the weirdest player he played with. Well, I don't think we actually knew that he'd signed for the rest of the year, though. There's yeah, I think you're right. Actually, he's, he's, he's actually going on for another year. This, I mean, is he any different a player now than he was six years ago? Uh, he's a le- little less in the um, limelight, I guess, which is good because he'd always be. He was getting a lot of uh, media attention when he was New South Wales captain. Yeah, you're probably right with that. Um, but I mean, when he, what do you mean when he walked down outside North in his undies? How long ago was that? <laughs> that was fuck, you know. yeah, fuck. That was probably six or seven years ago. But he was borderline. He was the best player in the comp. I, I thought five, six years ago, it was him and Thurston, maybe. Um, yeah, you're Cameron a huge Smith. fan. You always have been. Actually, he was just he was just a machine, and I guess he was yeah. he was. I thought. He meant more to that Sharks team than, you know, as much to that Sharks team as anyone meant to their team. As big an influence on his team as, as anyone. So, um, going around for another season, what will he be? He'll be 38 next year. So, they're He'll saying if he wins a grand final year, this yeah. year, he might end up being the second oldest or the oldest player to win a grand final. Is that true? Uh, yeah, you tell the story. I, know, I just want a little bit of backup there. Don't know, but I'm no. just trying to work out what year he did work nude in front of the um, 2013. So yeah, five years ago. What do you think of the what sharks? Was the bid on? What do you think of the sharks now into eight dollars to win the comp? So we've got the favourites Roosters at three ten, then we've got the Storm at four twenty five, the Rabbitohs at four fifty, the Sharks at eight dollars. Then we've got a few sort of teams. We've got the Dragons at seventeen dollars. They are not a hope in hell. And if anyone in the top eight, that for me the Dragons have got the least amount of chance of winning. Then you get down to the Broncos at twenty one, and the Panthers at twenty one, and the Warriors at twenty three. Um, even though they are the favourites, I cannot see the Roosters winning. Really, I cannot see them winning. Okay. I think it's a now it's getting closer. For me, I've ruled out a lot of teams. For me, it's Storm, Rabbitohs, and Sharks. And Sharks. They're the three teams that can win it this year. Oh, I, yeah, no, I agree with win. the Sharks, but I wouldn't write off the. I've got the Roosters still there with them. I just think the Roosters. 
I don't think they've, they've had a couple of real dominant performances, but if I, you know, is in a semi-final and they got back up against the Rabbitohs and I think that big, if they've had their little down sort of slide, when the Rabbitohs get back up again, I reckon their big full pack will absolutely stampede the Roosters. Um, I think the Sharks, they've just got that veteran win ugly. They've got um, class across the park, but they've just lost their centres. Ramian's out for the season. <coughs> Is he? He's unbelievable. He's comfortably the rookie of the year for mine, Jesse Ray. Really? But no, no, he didn't play too many games. Oh, no, you're right, he didn't. He, he is unbelievably good. And he's going to the Knights next year. Is he? He signed wow. like early, like pre-season almost, or like after one or two rounds. Yeah. Huge, huge signing. But um, the Sharks have lost both centres, Ricky Letali and Jesse Raymond. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see. Probably Dukes will come in. And then they might bring Edric Moonboot Lee back. Yeah, he goes all right. It's one of one of my personal favourites. Um, okay, on to the round ahead. We've already put out the first game Thursday. We've put half our pot on the Seagulls. Yep. Then we've got Friday, the pub game. Warriors v Panthers at Mount Smart. Very, very, very tough game to call. Uh, no Blake Green. No Blake Green. It's anyone's guess to see what kind of Warriors um, team pops out. But I guess fans of the Warriors will say every time they've been embarrassed or haven't won a game that they should have, they've come back relatively well the week after. I think the Panthers, even though they lost last week, I don't know if they've got their shit together a week later. I do like so who Has anyone got suspended from the fights? Nah, they've got fines. Oh, that's bullshit. I think, no, it's not actually, but... Well, I mean, tell that to Curtis Scott. Yeah, good point, actually. I think the Panthers moving Tyrone Peachy to six, DWZ to one, and they've brought in... Um, they've dropped Sione Katoa, and they've brought that white hooker in. What's his name? Um, Wayne Egan. Wayne Egan, yeah. I think there's a couple of nice moves from the Panthers that are trying to sort of kickstart them. That game's anyone's guess. I couldn't tell you. Cowboys hosting the Eels. You'd have to say the Cowboys at one three hundred Smile Stadium, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's Come real spoon bowl. Pretty much nearly out and out spoon bowl. Get the Eels at the bottom. I'd love to see them get a spoon. Raiders Rabbitohs at GIO. Fuck the Raiders were good, Jeez. weren't they? That, what is that a Saturday? No, that's Saturday at three pm. I like that. Saturday at three pm. Tapping out for the season. I saw that. Well, well two games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So great. I think you can still go to the print. Um, um, now, yeah, I think the Raiders can go close. Hang on, Raiders like, playing who? The Bunnies. I think so GI is going to be back. I think Adam Reynolds is going to be back. Maybe even AJ's back. I like the Rabbitohs there. And do you sniff an upset at Seba Super? Do I actually do the Titans hosting the storm? Well, Smith doesn't play, does he? I think he's going to play. Surely they don't risk him. I think he's going to play. Well, they also have lost. Who else have they lost? Now, Sofa Solomona, Chambers, um, Vunivalu, Brendan Smith, all got lost out of that game of the weekend. I reckon in the Titans the at two dollars eighty. Nice day. Do we put 10 on that? No, no, no. 25 at 2 no, we'll go, We don't want to go bust first week. 
Well, don't we have a hundred bucks to spend each week, or is this this is our pot? Okay. No, no, because no, we go. We're gonna, this is. Our, oh fuck! Well, I, I don't think I'll go fifty of the pot on the seagulls then. Let's just say yeah, tw- let's say twenty five on the seagulls and twenty five on the titans. Okay, you sure? But we're just going to do roughies. Okay, yeah, but that's what we're good at. And what are the what are the titans pay? Two eighty. Okay, let's go. Now we've got the roosters at home to the broncos. Alliance. Yeah, this is a banana skin game for the Roosters, big time. But hang on, the Broncos are a glamour club. Yeah, but they've they're the they're the biggest up and down team in the comp. Worse than us. Yeah, I reckon they are actually. Like they're more inconsistent than us this year. So they, but got they won last the week. They won last week, so then they're probably and then uh, and the Roosters lost God, last I week. Hope, so logic hope. says. That this is a get right game for the Roosters. Kerry's back. Yeah, I how believe. much are Roosters paying here? Dollar fifty. Oh, you paid twenty five on them. All right, surely. We'll yep, happy to. Yep. Um. Oh shit! I don't mind. This is an upset either. This is just juicy, isn't it? What a Sharks at home. Oh. Sharks at home to the Knights. The Knights three twenty five. Whew. Actually, I like all of the outsiders this week. I love. Well, if that happens, we could have eight teams <laughs> finishing first. I love, love, love the Bulldogs to beat the Dragons at Jubilee Oval. No, you wouldn't. You love the Dragons. I fucking do not. Um, well, they. To be honest, I'll give you a tip. Bulldogs again. They're playing awesome football. Like I wasn't nah, that gutted in there. We weren't off. that bad. Yeah, we weren't that bad, but we still should have taken care of the dogs. The I dogs know, played but this well. Is our you were just explaining it before we hurry. I know. It's, it's a matter of it's, frustrating. It's, it's a matter of nutrition. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Anyway, mate, is this just a huge? You have got two rounds to go. Huge jockeying for this positions. week. If you look at the week, this week's got some great games in it. It it does. Every single game has got something on it, doesn't it? Because I think once you know you've only got two games left in the season, two, you're like, well, you put more out, you let more out of the field, right? If you're Michael Gordon, for instance. Oh, you are thinking, I want to go out with a bang. And maybe a bit of Mad Monday in the back of your mind, if, you, if you're sort of down eight points and you're thinking, I've got nothing to play for, the floodgates may open a bit. You think you got your mind on Mad Monday. Um, Correct. Oof, anything can happen. This is a big week of footy. Um, we enjoy it, don't we? Oh, the pub game's going to be nervous. I will be sinking. Oh, and I just don't... I like last week because we didn't have to see our result till Sunday. Yeah, and it took me... I enjoyed the roosters Rays game, but I couldn't... I was just staring at the TV, like, right through it until the second half. Yeah, I know exactly. I know exactly what you're thinking. Um, but, look, we've got a lot to look forward to. Um, the listeners are going to hear one of the greats, if not the greatest touch judge of all time, Steve Betts. Oh. Talk to Jack, um, recorded a couple of weeks ago, so I hope you enjoy that. In the meantime, you'll probably hear from us same time next week. Um, between now and then, though, you've got to love your league. I love your league. Righto, we're lucky this week to have Steve Betts, um, often uh, arguably the greatest man to ever hold a, a flag on the side of a rugby league field, well-known throughout the New South Wales rugby league community. Um, hi, Steve. How are you going this morning? Well, I'm fine. Back and you? Very good, thanks. Um, so I was lucky enough to uh, get your contacts from uh, a couple of your boys' friends, actually. Um, and I guess it's a very topical... Uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big topic in the NRL at the moment. Um, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Where were you born and what are your memories of growing up and watching rugby league? 
Well, I was I was born in Sydney on the uh, on the North Shore. Uh, always been keen rugby league follower. I played played the game at school, uh, and I used to. I remember Dad taking me down to uh, North Sydney Oval or Bear Park, as it was always affectionately known. Um, standing under the, the famous fig tree on the northern end of the ground, watching watching the bears play uh, whenever I could get down there. And in that respect, I guess you'd say that the bears were my uh, my home team. But naturally, once I got involved in the refereeing, well, there's no such thing as a home team or a favourite team. So that went by the wayside until I uh, I finished refereeing. Unfortunately. Uh, not long after I gave up refereeing, a Bears ended their tenure in the NRL. So since then, I haven't followed a team and I'm not interested in following any sides. Other than that, uh, I watch it occasionally on TV and uh, I still go and see young referees in the New South Wales competitions and try and give them a few clues and uh, help them to become the best referees they can be. Cool. That's uh, that's brilliant. And so these days you'll you'll watch league, but you're you're an observer that doesn't have a have a team. So I guess you can sort of you're in the best position, I guess, to um, judge a referee's or touch touch judge's performance. Um, so so when did you first take an interest in touch judging, and how did you get involved? So did you start with refereeing, or was it? Uh, yeah, I did when I was at school. In the North Sydney district, all the, the junior referees used to come out of my school, uh, which was opposite North Sydney Oval. We had uh, referees from the local association come and give us lectures at lunchtime. I just thought it would be a good idea, to, something to do at lunchtime for a few weeks. So I turned up to the lectures and subsequently got my schoolboys referees ticket, not with the intention of actually refereeing, but just for the fact that I can say I got it. And uh, not long after I got it, I was approached by the North Sydney Referees Association to see if I wanted to have a run around the paddock of the weekend. And I did that. Uh, basically, uh, I did that for uh, 12, 12 years, I think it was, around about. Uh, and I got reasonably good at blowing the whistle in the local district, certainly, and in the junior representative arena. And in 1980, I was uh, I was invited into the grade squad. So I made uh, the New South Wales Rugby League referees grade squad, which was uh, the highest honour you could have back in those days. And uh, so, was there people like Barry Gomesall there? Well, he was no, Queenslander, he, wasn't he? He was a Queenslander. Yeah, yeah Barry was a Queenslander. But uh, back then, Greg Hartley was refereeing. Gary Cook, Kevin Roberts. Uh, John Gosher, uh, chaps like that were all referees. And anyway, I uh, I got graded as a as a whistleblower, as I call them, uh, in ni- beginning of 1980, and didn't get the best of runs there in the early days. And so I'd been on the line a fair bit. Anyway, in 1982, Eric Cox, who was running the referees then, he asked me, "Did I want to have another go back in the middle?" Or did I want to stay on the line and, and try and become a, a half-decent touch judge? Well, at that stage, it had been a long time since I'd blown a whistle. And I thought, 
looking at the odds, there's two touch judges on a game and one referee, so I've got twice as much chance of getting to the top uh, as a touch judge. So I decided at that stage in 92 that I would become a uh, effectively a professional touch judge, uh, which is what I did. And by 1993, I, uh, I made first grade. And for the next 18 years, I managed to get appointed to first grade every year. So uh, I believe I'm still the only referee or touch judge uh, that has been appointed to a first grade game for 18 years in a row. Uh, I could be wrong there, but I believe that to be the case. Well, that's definitely something to be very proud of, and you would have seen it, uh, a lot of changes in the game over those over those years you're officiating. Um, so, and would, were you involved when the uh, in goal touched in goal judges were uh, incorporated into first grade? When were they incorporated? In the late eighties, was it? Uh, I, I think from memory, it was either the very late eighties or early nineties, and in fact. I'm, I'm almost positive it was about 1990. Okay. And as it turns out, I was one of the four uh, touch judges that that were used in goal in the semi-final series of that year. So there were four of us did the, the first grades and I happened to be one of them, which was somewhat unusual. I think it was the only year that I actually got to do that. The rest of the time I was on the line. But, uh, yeah, so... So I was involved as an in-goal touch judge and they, they kept that up for some time until uh, technology and more cameras sort of did away with the need for them. Yeah, I see. So when you look... I mean, I've I mean, I've mean, ran the touch judge occasionally when I've been doing it sort of... Um, or have I? Like at amateur park football level yep. as a yep. player, you know, when you're injured or something. Um, sure. But what, what do you think... Uh, good personality traits a, a touch judge should have? Well, I think for a start to be any sort of referee, you've got to be thick-skinned because uh, it's not the easiest job to be an official in sport. And and as we, we know and we hear about far too often, uh, officials do cop a lot of unwarranted flack uh, from spectators and players at times too. So... So you've got to be thick-skinned to be able to deal with that and not let it affect you. Uh, I also think you, you need to be a good decision-maker uh, because there are a lot of things happen on the football field where you have to, to weigh up the circumstances. Uh, the obvious things as a touch judge, you know, ball's going into touch and kicks at goal and all that sort of stuff. But there are other things where, you, where there might be uh, a degree of foul play or you know, back play incidents and you've got to weigh up what you're going to do about them. So yeah. uh, you've got to make decisions all the time. You've got to try and help the referee where you can. Yes, uh, it's an interesting one because I did a little bit of refereeing in Hong Kong. I was in Hong Kong and we started a fledgling rugby league competition up there and basically mm. there wasn't many people that had the skills to, to ref or yeah. use the knowledge of the game. And I'm not saying I knew enough about it, but one yeah. thing I did from doing it, and I think players... It would almost like if you got the players to go and do a refereeing uh, or did some refereeing at junior level, sometimes you physically cannot see what happens. You actually cannot. And that is where, I guess, decision-making needs to be made. You need to either... You have to weigh up the options, I guess, on on what's, what could have happened. 
it's it's the old story. If it uh, if it waddles like a duck and it quacks like a duck, there's a good chance it's going to be a duck. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, you're right. You sometimes you have to weigh up the odds, and, and what we do is we what we used to call it was you know make the percentage call. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully you get it right. Uh, yeah, and I yeah, guess so. How much does teamwork come into play too? Because obviously the officials on a rugby league field they are a unit rather than individuals, aren't they? That's right. I remember years ago I did a uh, an interview on Channel Seven, and they uh, before a game at Brookvale Oval, and they interviewed myself and the other touch judge Kevin Russell. And uh, one of the points we made then is back then we were like. The the referees were like the 17th team. There were 16 teams in the comp then. Yep. And we were like the 17th team, both as a, as a general group and when we got on the field, there was three of us. We just happened to be a small team. But we were most definitely a team and that was, that was one of our strengths, that we were, we were a team and uh, we had to go out there as a team and, and work for each other and help each other, look after each other. And that was very strong. Was there one uh, ground around around the National Rugby League or the New South Wales Rugby League in the early days that had the best facilities for referees and touch judges? You know, they had the, the largest uh, yeah. changing room for the officials? Yeah. Uh, probably, I would say, just harking back on it, when Brisbane were... QE2 Stadium, that was, we had a big facility there as far as change rooms go. Uh, and, uh. And the worst that, would have been Leichhardt, wouldn't it? Well, Leichhardt actually wasn't too bad, bad because it was fairly long and it was, was plenty of space. To be honest, the worst one was North Sydney Oval. Okay. Uh, in the earlier days because there was a little room underneath the grandstand and it was only about four feet wide. And about twenty feet long, yeah. And uh, that was probably the, the actual worst, worst facilities of the lot. Uh, some of the others weren't much better in those days, in the early days in particular. But yeah. over time, they, in my time, they uh, they gradually improved uh, the facilities at the various grounds. Um, okay, so now you're not involved in the touch judging, but you're obviously watching a fair bit on telly and, and getting involved, but. What are the, what's the biggest change you see from from your day running the line to what the guy, the 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 touch judges of the modern era have to put up? Obviously, there's stuff like the the video ref um, and two referees on the field. Are those some of the major differences? Well, we had well certainly towards the end of my career, we had the uh, the video ref. We certainly didn't have the bunker, yeah. uh, but we we operated with a with a video ref upstairs at the ground. Uh, but I think the way I look at it these days, I think from a touch judging perspective overall, I mean, the guys, I was fit in the day. I certainly aren't now, but I was back then. But the guys generally, they're a lot fitter these days. But where I think touch judging loses out these days, I'm just not convinced that the guys... Uh, are able to make the decisions like we did back in the old days. Like now, they've got it a lot easier. Like 
any try that's scored within a metre of the touchline, it appears to me these days, it's got to be referred to the bunker. Yeah. Uh, and and they've got rid of the corner post. Uh, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing to get rid of the corner post because I know it, at times it was very hard to determine uh, whether a guy had scored a try, you know, put the ball down before he hit the corner post. Uh, it's hard enough just with the lines, but certainly with a corner post it did make it a bit difficult sometimes. But they've just made it easier in, in that respect that there's no corner post and and a lot of the decisions anywhere remotely near the corner are referred. So the, the touch judges don't have the experience, I suppose, yeah. to make those decisions like those definitive decisions like we used to in the old days. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I have seen some old YouTube videos and to be honest, the players, from what I've seen, some of the decisions were quite bad uh, from what I saw because basically I had a view on the camera, on the TV or the YouTube mm. that was better than what the referee had. But the players mm. almost seemed more accepting of, of that as well from what I, I can see on those old YouTube videos. I'm sure well, we've got a few serves after the game. Oh, well, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that just as they do today, that you know, mistakes were made in the past. Yeah. Uh, and earlier on in my career, where there wasn't the television coverage, well, that may have uh, there may have been more because he just didn't have the coverage to really highlight them. But but as time went on, one of the things that probably helped me to have such a long career was that the more you tended to do it, the better at it you got. Yeah. Uh, and, and we were accountable. I, I can remember a, a game I did at uh, Campbelltown once and uh, one of the players put his hand on the line uh, just after he was tackled and I didn't put my flag up because I decided that he was getting up, it was in the process of playing the ball and you're allowed to go over the touchline. Yeah. Well, the powers that be then decided I was wrong and just for that simple mistake, I was relegated to second grade for a couple of weeks. Wow. It appears to me these days that, that it'd take a lot more than that for a, for a touch judge uh, to be relegated to, to second grade. I know a guy just got dropped this week for, for an obvious, he put his flag up and the play was nowhere near the line. Was that the one in the Cronulla uh, Raiders game? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the referee, Bernard Sutherland, just gets demoted, but he gets the Warriors-Titans game. What does that say to uh, well, Warriors club? I, I won't go down that track. Okay, okay we won't go I'd down I prefer that. not to comment on uh, the fact that Bernie's uh, still in first grade. Yeah. Uh, while others, others have uh, suffered a different fate. But, anyway, that's... Uh, so That's not a your last year of first grade uh, officiating were on, on the line was what year, 98? No, 2000. 2000, okay. So you knew Mookshin yeah. Jaguar? Yeah, yeah, I knew Mook well. Yeah, I, yeah. I ran Mook's line for him uh, on a number of occasions, yep. And who was the 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 the, the best um, New Zealand ref during the 80s and 90s? They used to wear their TNT and Caltex jerseys. I can't remember his name. Oh. Well... I did a I did a, a test match Australia Great Britain in '92, and Barry Hales was the referee yes, at that. And uh, what about Jim Stokes? Did you know him? 
No, I, I don't know, Jim. And I'm just trying to think. Uh, Neville Keisha was another That's referee another from Keisha. back in those days, yes. Yeah, who was another one of Indian descent. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, yeah. So, but, so when you look back at your career, Steve, uh, Steve, is there one moment that you sort of like go, "What the hell? What what did I just see? Was it a a, a player that did something in, incredible, or a crowd just do it going like this? This this can't be right. Is there something that sticks out for you? Well. There's a, there's a couple of things stick out. It's not necessarily players' action, but I remember I, my first state of origin in 1991 was the decider, and it was at Wang Park. And I remember standing there with the other touch judge, and Bill Harrigan was the referee. And we're standing there facing the main grandstand, and they played the national anthem. And I was just looking at the crowd in awe, really. And uh, they sang the national anthem, and just as the national anthem finished, <coughs> the crowd just erupted, and I just could not believe the atmosphere that particular that particular evening. It was he, just he uh, was incredible. Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then you think, like, I'm out here in this, and, yeah. and it, was, it was just an amazing feeling. It really was. It was a it was a great buzz, and I was lucky enough to. Uh, and it was also Wally Lewis's half, uh, last game, that particular game too, so uh, there was some nostalgia in it in that respect as well. Cool. So, and, and just, I was lucky enough to do six State of Origins and uh, I loved every one of them. Loved every minute of it. It was great. Yeah, well, well, some people would say it's the pinnacle of our game. I would disagree, but a lot of people do uh, go down that track. So, yeah, yeah. I... I like I, I think there's no doubt the, the atmosphere there is probably better than anything else. But but I'm a bit like you. I think Australia, an Australian Guernsey, would be the pinnacle. Oh, of course. That's, that's what I would think. And, and those again, Great Britain sides of the early '90s, when you were when you were um, at sort of your peak, I guess, were mm. were still teams that could bash you up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They were great. They were great sides, and. Uh, and, and yeah, the fact that I, I look at that from my perspective as an official, that uh, that is in fact the pinnacle of my career that I got selected to effectively represent my country as an official in, a, in an international fixture. So, so that would be the um, proudest moment of your career when you look back on it? Oh yeah, I, I think so. I think that would be it. You know, there's... As I said, the state of origins and the grand finals and all that, they're terrific. But yeah, to... To be selected to do a, a Australia Great Britain Test match in particular was uh, certainly a highlight. Cool. Now I don't want to because this could be quite a sensitive subject, so you don't need to answer it if if, if not required. But is, was there any player that was a really annoyance to you on the line, or um, opposite that, was there a guy that you thought was really you know polite and you know you, every time you ran the line he was a winger? I, I, I guess as a as a touch judge, you probably start to get relationships with wingers more than anything. You do, you do. Is there anyone yeah. that sort of goes, oh, g'day Steve, how's it going? I remember last time, what's last time I saw you were playing Easts at SFS or something. Is it? Did you build relationships in that way? Yeah, you, you sort of do because, you know, it was, a, it was sometimes a fairly lonely job out there on the line by yourself almost. And, yeah. and the only people that were 
anywhere close were like the wingers and occasionally the centre or whatever. So yeah, you I'd always say to the wingers when I was, you know, at the start of play or something, or how are you, you know, how are you today, blah blah blah. And I'd uh, I'd try and just develop some sort of rapport with them, and and most of them were were pretty good. Uh, there was the odd person that was a bit difficult to uh, to get a relationship with. Hopewadi. Uh, he could be one I might mention. I won't, <laughs> but he could be. <laughs> But, you know, others were quite good. And Jamie Ainsco, I remember back when he was a Newcastle player and he often played on the wing. Yeah. Rod, Rod Wishart. Yeah, uh, I, was, I was thinking Rod Wishart. He looked like a guy that sort of, you know, would be quite friendly. Yeah, yeah. So he was all right. Even guys like uh, Michael Hancock from Brisbane, who uh, was a bit of a handful for, for some people, particularly other players. He was very hard to... Hold on to, but uh, but I, I enjoyed it when I had to work on a line and, and he was on my side of the field. So yeah, it just you just uh, you try and make the most of your situation. I think it, it helps to have some sort of rapport with the players. Hopefully they will uh, they will listen to you a bit more if you need to tell them to get back on side or whatever it may have been. Now just to just to finish this uh, interview, Stephen, it's been I, I can't. Uh, say this has been great to listen to but we had an argument on well we didn't have an argument we had a theory on the uh, show a couple of weeks ago about how the touch judges work now can you confirm this one touch judge should stay basically in line with the attacking with the 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 team with the ball and the other Mm. does the other touch judge then the other one tries to line yeah the other one's Helps out with the ten meters. Okay, so then when the the position gets handed over, like there's a kick, then the the ref that was uh, sorry the t- linesman that was doing the ten meter then becomes the play the ball. So is that correct? Well, it, it depends on which side of the field the ball is. It's oh. determined more by which side of the field the ball is rather than which side has the ball. Interesting. Okay, so when the ball gets in the middle of the field, there's sort of a transition zone where the yeah, that's right. The touch did yeah. sort of switch back. Uh, interesting. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then either either touch judge is able to put their flag up. Let's say um, if there's foul play. Yeah, they did, but you don't see that happen too no, often these days. Do you? Like there was a lot more prevalent in our day, I guess, for two reasons. One, in the early days, we didn't have comms. That only came in in the early nineties. Okay. Well. And and secondly, uh, mainly because of the comps, things just tend to be spoken about. You, you rarely see a touch judge run in with his flag up and saying, you know, I want number number seven or number nine or you know number three, whatever it may be. So that's the, that's probably the main reason. But they do have the power to do it. But it's just that it's it's something that's not really done these days. No, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, and and so on that uh, that Canberra versus Cronulla game. If a touch yeah. judge puts their flag up, it doesn't necessarily mean the ref stops play, does it? Well, it should oh, because it should. because so back in the, the touch, day, judge, the touch judge is the sole judge of touch. So if he puts his flag up, even though. The bloke doesn't go out. If the touch judge has put his flag up, 
the referee should stop the play. But that's where I get confused, right? Because back in the day when they did put their flag out for foul play, they sort of held it out in a quite direct horizontal fashion. Uh, no, no, that's well, they didn't. Do, we didn't do that. Okay, so I might be getting confused with the Devils game union. Yeah, I think you might be. Uh, I think that might be it because we didn't do that. Like, if there's foul play, we'll. And I, I said earlier, we had to make a judgment call. Do we let play go on for a bit? And if there's any advantage, or do you go on straight away and and have the play stopped and uh, to to report the foul play? That's how it used to be. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been a, a good education on some of the finer points of uh, touch judging, Steve. Uh, I'd like to thank you very much for your time on the Sunday morning. Um, I'm sure that our listeners who are you know they're rugby league fans that like a bit more difference. They they got they get they're sick of the mainstream media and hearing Gus Gould interview or Wax Bipical <laughs> about Sam Burgess. But it's good to get an yeah. old touch judge on that can tell us a, a bit more about the intricacies of our great game. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Jack. Uh, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it myself. And thank you for the opportunity. No problem. Well I'll send you a link to the uh to the episode so you can share it round to friends and family and you have a great Sunday afternoon. Okay, you too, Jack. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye-bye. Wake up in the morning after the weekend to get an update on the NRL. Me legal counsel. Wake up in the morning after the weekend To get an update on the NRL My legal counsel Hits of the weekend scandals on Monday A story from Jack about a urinal My legal counsel